Thank you for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app where you can also submit a prayer request. I want to encourage you to contact us if you're in need of prayer. The dictionary has many different definitions for the word peace. It can mean freedom, mentally calm, a period of time with no war, or a greeting given among church members. But what does the Bible define as peace? I'll tell you, peace isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of someone, isn't something you can hold on to. It's a calm from within. It's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. This is the title of our new series, starting right now with today's message, Peace. I want to bring a message today about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2 again, the story of Jesus' birth. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Uh, one of the things that I've heard people talk about through the years is like, when was Jesus really born? Uh, why do we do it? When, why do we celebrate when we celebrate? And uh, let me just make a couple little quick comments about that. It is very, like, very, 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 very unlikely that Jesus was born in December. When the shepherds would spend their, the nights with their flocks was when the youths were having their lambs. And that didn't happen in December. That would have been coming um, probably more around April or May. In fact, around the year 200, theologians got together and they actually designated May 20 as the day that Jesus had been born. So uh, why is it that we're doing what we're doing? Well, actually, in uh, the early church, the first few hundred years of the church, Jesus' birth was hardly even considered a big deal. What was considered a big deal was Jesus' baptism. Right? And it was celebrated on the 6th of January, which is really, I think, a very key thing that someday I might even preach on that. But what happened is in A.D. 385, Pope Julius declared December 25 to be a day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And the reason that he actually chose that date was because of the, 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 the Roman god of Saturn. Now, they had a feast that ended... On the, with the 25th of December. And it was a very pagan feast and festival, lots of debauchery. And he said, what we're going to do is we are going to take that old pagan festival out and we're going to bring in a Christian festival where we're going to celebrate Jesus instead of celebrating some demon. How many think that's a good idea? Yeah, that's a good idea. And so that's why we celebrate when we celebrate. And I don't think it matters what day we celebrate as long as we celebrate. All right. So verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. You know, when Jesus was born, the proclamation was glory to God. That was for the heavens. But on earth, it was peace 
and goodwill towards men. You know, Jesus really is the prince of peace. In fact, Isaiah, a little over 700 years before Jesus is born, prophesies his birth. And he said this in Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Now, when it's talking about a child being born, it's talking about Jesus' physical body, his, the, the, the human nature. But when it says a son is given, it's saying that Jesus had to be given because he was already in heaven to start with. Right? He is the eternal God. In the beginning, Jesus was there. In fact, Colossians said, when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus who said, let there be light. So he had to be given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And by the way, what Jesus came to establish on earth and for eternity is government. He came proclaiming a kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. In fact, Christianity is not a religion or a philosophy or a morality. Christianity is a kingdom. That's what it is. He came to sit on the throne of his father, David, a kingdom. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Now, he told us to pray this. He said, pray and say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, literally, the kingdom of God today, as you and I see the kingdom, is when God's will is done down here, just like it is up there. In your life, through your life, that is bringing the kingdom of God. In John 14, Jesus said this about peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither be afraid. Now notice Jesus said he gives peace, but he doesn't give peace the way that the world gives peace. In the world, people consider peace to be a time without war, a time without conflict. If you're old, you might consider peace to be no noise. But, but peace, listen, it's not an absence of something, which is what most people think peace is. Peace is not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of the Prince of Peace. That's what it is. Now, notice what Jesus said. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. This is the time of year when they tell us that more people are troubled, more people are depressed, than any other time of the year. But Jesus said, don't let that happen. Now, you and I live in a, in a society that day that tells us this, that your emotions control your thoughts. If that's what you feel, that's just the way it is. I, that's what I feel, so that's my reality, because that's what I feel. But the Bible tells us something completely different. Jesus is telling us something different. He's saying, do not let your feelings run your life. And that literally, your feelings do not determine your thoughts, but your thoughts determine your feelings. 
So he says, you should not let your heart. If you, you say, but I'm depressed. And well, that's just the way it is. No, Jesus said, that's not the way it is. And he said, cut it out. He said, don't let that happen. See, you, you don't need to be ran by your feelings. Now, here's, here's the way that it works. What you think about determines your feelings. And what you think about, it, it magnifies. I've got some binoculars right here. How many of you have ever used a pair? All right. You know, you, you use them the right way and you look and like, oh, man, I can see his whiskers. You know, things get bigger. Things get bigger. All right. But how many ever turned them around? Man, that's somebody who's 20 feet away. They, they look like they're like a quarter mile away. We even got a couple pictures up here. All right. That's looking the wrong way. You see, in some of us, that's how we're looking at God. We're looking at God the wrong way. We aren't thinking about how big God is, how good God is, about the promises of God, about redemption and salvation and what the blood purchased for you. You're looking at your problems. And when you look at your problems and your situation and you're thinking and talking about your situation, God over there, he looks like he's about that big. All right. But now let's turn it around. You start magnifying the Lord. You start thinking the right thoughts, right? In fact, in Psalms 69, in verse 30, David said, come, let us magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. He's saying when you begin to be thankful for the blessings that you have, for the redemption that you have, for God's love, for the blood, for the name, that your name's written in heaven, that you've got Jesus building you a mansion and you're part of the kingdom of God and you're in his hand. And he said he'll never leave you and he will never forsake you. You begin, you begin to be thankful. You cannot stay depressed. You understand? The Bible actually says in Isaiah 61, the garment of praise or thanksgiving for the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness is an old English word for depression. It says when you begin to be thankful, when you begin to look at God, when you begin to do the right kind of thinking, that stuff just blows off. You magnify. God just gets bigger. Now, you don't make him bigger than he really is. You just see what's really there. You just see what's really there. That's why the Bible tells in Philippians chapter four, it says, don't worry about anything. But then this is what it says. It says, but whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are pure and whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, meditate on these things. So, so literally Jesus says, don't let your emotions direct your life. Don't let your heart be troubled. Change the way that you think. Now, so peace is not the absence of something. In fact, R Romans 14, verse 7 says this. But the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So one-third of the kingdom of God is peace. A third of the kingdom is peace. Now, true peace is about the presence of the prince of peace. Peace is in and through the prince of peace. And Jesus is the prince of peace. When Jesus is our primary influence and our hearts and our minds are focused on him, that peace comes. 
that peace that conquers fear and dread and shame and guilt and regret and depression. Jesus' peace is not about the circumstances around you. Jesus never said you're never going to have trials or temptations or problems or mountains or giants. He never said that. He never said there'd never be a storm. But Jesus' peace is inward, and it affects the outward. In 1982, Jeannie and I are living in Mexico, and it gets to be Holy Week, Easter Week. And in Mexico, there's this, this tradition that everybody that possibly can goes to the beach. At that time, Mexico City was 25 million people, and they said for Holy Week, it went down to 20 million, excuse me, to 5 million. 20 million people left. Everybody would just go to the beach. So the beaches were just loaded with people. And, and it wasn't like there were parks. I mean, people just took their tent, lived in their car, but they just, everybody would go to the beach. And so we had this idea, let's, let's go have a, an evangelistic meeting down on the beach. There's seven or eight of us guys, and we get together, and, and uh, we pool our money, and uh, we, we go down. In fact, Jeannie had, how many sheets did you put together? Was it six, eight? Like six or eight sheets, she put them all together. And we had a, a movie series about the life of Jesus. And we had some big trumpet speakers and a movie projector. And so we thought, so at night, we're going to put this big sheet up. Right? And we'll blast these movies out and through the speakers. And, and literally at night, we'd have 10,000 people come and watch the, the movies about Jesus. That was our, our plan at night. And do everything, you know, with, a, with the loudspeakers. But during the day, we had brought a couple thousand tracks. And we're going to be passing out tracts, praying for people, talking to people about Jesus. That's our strategy. So we get down there, and uh, we had pooled our money. I mentioned that, right? And it was a bunch of guys, and nobody really knows how to cook. But we had decided, let's just cook spaghetti because it'll kind of like easy to do, and it'll keep. Well, it was during the day, and we're witnessing, and Javier's the cook, and he starts witnessing, and he burns the spaghetti. So we're like, we got to redeem this because this is it. This is all we've got. So we got to do something. And somebody said, well, you just put a little bit of garlic in. And we said, well, how much? Well, just a little bit. So we went and got like three or four heads. Not teeth, heads. Threw them in this thing. Burnt taste was gone. <laughs> Did not taste burnt at all. Right. But here was the funny thing. The witnessing one-on-one, -on -one, it was over. You know, I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. Nobody would talk to us. And we literally, we're, we're like, we bind you devil. You know, we think there's this problem. But we never, it never registered. You know, so we had great meetings at night. But during the day, man, nobody would talk to us. We couldn't pray for anybody. All right. And we, kept, we had actually taken a bus down uh, because there was so much traffic. And so we got on the bus, and the buses were packed. Every one of them sold out, all right? And we get on the bus, and it was awesome because every one of us got a whole row to ourselves. <laughs> People were actually sitting on the floor. And we just had a whole row to ourselves, and we just thought, hey, the favor of the Lord. I get home, I open the door, and, and, and uh, <laughs> this is when I found out what the real problem was. 
running. My husband's home. He's been gone. I'm so excited. I'm here. He opens the door, and I about fall backwards this far away from him. He reeked <laughs> so bad. It was like you could almost see the waves of garlic coming off of him. And uh, that night, I, I, we said goodnight, and we tried to cuddle up. I could not bear it. I finally said, I love you, but I got to sleep downstairs. 40, 44 years is the only night we didn't sleep in the same bed. I mean, bad. she was in the doghouse. No, I was, I really was, but she left. She left. She couldn't take it. All right. Now, understand this. It was an inside job. It wasn't the outside. It was the inside. Now, listen, when the Prince of Peace puts his peace on you, it's not because of what's going on around you. It's not the outside stuff. It is the inside stuff. It brings calm within. There can be storms. There can be circumstances. But there is something on the inside of you that what is going on on the outside is not what matters. Because there is a peace. There is a victory on the inside of you that just spills over no matter what is going on on the outside. Think about this. Paul's in prison, and this is what he writes. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Well, how could that be? Why is that? Because there's something on the inside. There's something on the inside of him. Jesus slept through a storm. He's with professional fishermen. They literally believe the boat is going to sink and they're going to drown. And Jesus gets up and releases his peace. He says, peace to the wind, to the storm, to the waves, and there was calm. And do you realize that Jesus' peace can do the same thing inside of you and inside of me? That peace influenced what happened around him. It literally brought a calm to a storm. That peace brought health where there was sickness and disease. That peace literally took and displaced demonic power. In, in Ephesians 6 and verse 15, what we preach is called the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Jesus never promised us a life without trouble. But this is what he said. He said, because of what's going on on the inside of you, he said, you're going to experience victory in spite of it. Now, listen to Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. See, that, that peace is because we're looking to the Prince of Peace. We realize he's got us. He said he'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. The word leave means literally, it means to physically leave. But forsake means to turn your heart away from. God said, I will never physically leave you. I will never turn my heart away from you. And if you're struggling with worry and depression and stress, you need to refocus your thoughts. He said he'll keep him in perfect peace when we have our thoughts fixed on him. We need to refocus our thoughts. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he said, troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. 
And then this is what he says in conclusion. He says, for which cause we faint not. He says, though the outward man, he perishes, yet the inward man, where that peace is, where that salvation is, is renewed day by day. He said, we're not looking at the things that are seen, but we're looking at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen, they are eternal. Jesus came as the prince of peace. Isaiah 52, verse 17. The work of righteousness will be peace. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Now, whenever righteousness and peace are mentioned together, it always mentions righteousness first and then peace. And the reason is mentioned right here in this verse. Because the work of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness is peace. Again, Romans 14, 7. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hebrews chapter 7. Abraham is met by Melchizedek. Uh, this is back in Genesis. I believe it's Genesis chapter 14 or 15. Melchizedek is a priest of God. Now, he's probably an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, what theologians call a Christophany, Jesus showing up. If not, he's a type of Jesus. The Bible says he has no father, no mother, doesn't have beginning of days, has no end of life. And this is what it says about him, Melchizedek. All right? It says, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem or king of peace. What is he first? Righteousness first, and then peace. The effect of righteousness will be peace. So what I want to talk to you a moment, because there, there is no real peace, kingdom of God peace, without kingdom of God righteousness. All right? So, 2 Corinthians 5.19. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself. Now, what that means is this, that what God did through Christ was to bring us back to the place where we would be in relationship with God like Adam and Eve were in relationship with God before the fall. He's restoring the world to himself. No longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Right? Now, what is it that we think bring, separates us from God that brings guilt and shame and condemnation? It's sin. It is sin that does that. Right? Now, now, let me just say this. In the book of Romans... Every time except two that the word sin is even mentioned, it's a noun and it's not a verb. You say, what does that mean? It's not talking about your behavior. It's talking about something that you inherited through Adam. Right? Not your behavior, but what you inherited through Adam. Right? But he's no longer counting men's sins against them. He's blotted them out. That's what he came to do. This is the wonderful message we've been given to tell others. So in the 21st verse... It says this, for he made him that do no sin 
to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what happened at the cross was God took all of your unrighteousness, whether it's inherited or it's an act. And he took that and he put that into Jesus. And he took Jesus' righteousness and he took that and put that into you. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 1.16 For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You know, I, I read that for years and really never understood it. But let me give you a couple of different translations that might help. Stephen says, The gospel, I say, can save men. For in it a way is revealed in which sinful men may be accepted before God and may stand in his presence approved and forgiven. Approved of and forgiven in God's presence. I think the, the clearest of them all is Levitt's translation. It says this, the gospel, it is the power which emanates from God, saves all who believe in it. Now listen, it, is, it reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. It reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. How does that happen? The only way it could happen is as a gift. That God took your unrighteousness and had Jesus pay for it. And took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to you. Now the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Is that right? Okay. So you're a Christian and God forbid you get hit by the bus. But if you get hit by the bus faster than the speed of light, you're going to be carried into God's presence. You don't go someplace and like, get purified for 10,000 years or suffer to pay for what you've done wrong for 1,000 years. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So with the righteousness you have right now, you're going to go hang out with God for all eternity. The same righteousness. It's not different because it's the one that he gave you. And he, it, it is legitimate in the court of heaven because Jesus paid the price for your sin. Right? And so he gifts you that righteousness. Romans 3.20 says this. It says that no one has ever been made right with God by being a good person or by obeying the law. You see, we thought, well, the way I, I've got to obey all these rules and all these regulations, if I do it all right, then I'm good with God. But the Bible says no one's ever been made right with God that way. In fact, the Bible says the law was given that sin would abound. And put it another way. God gave you rules so you'd know you're messed up. He never thought you'd obey them all and be perfect. All right? He gave them to you so sin would abound. So you'd say, oh, God, help. And he'd say, Got, gotcha. God help. God help. Right. Romans 4.25 says this. 
because of our justification, our acquittal, absolving us of all sin before God. Jesus was raised because you were absolved from all sin. Ross translation, on account of our being declared righteous. What righteousness? God's own righteousness. Now, that, the, the, the effect of righteousness, it's confidence with God. It's confidence in confronting the devil. It's expecting blessing. It, it, it's communion or fellowship with other believers. Right? It's gratitude in our hearts. And I want to close with James chapter 5, where James talks about Elijah. Now, Elijah has prayed, and as a result of his prayer, it hasn't rained for three years and six months. And it says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. You know, and, and uh, so often we read that and think, man, if I was just righteous, then I know, man, things would happen. Right? But he's made you righteous. And he gives us an example. He said, Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. And he prayed earnestly and it didn't rain. And no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens supplied rain, and the land produced crops as usual. Now notice, it's talking about Elijah. He said he was righteous. But look, he had feelings. He had affections. He had a constitution like ours. In fact, let me just say what? He really messed up. You know, he prays and fire falls from heaven. They kill the 450 prophets of Baal. He prays again and it rains. And that wicked woman Jezebel sends word and I'm going to kill you. And the Bible says he turned tail and ran. God was planning a revival. And he's out there and he's saying, oh, God, just kill me. I'm no better than my parents and my parents. And, and God, I'm the only one that's left and everybody else is dead. No, God is just so bad. How many ever felt that way? You know what God had to do? God had to straighten out his thinking. You know, and if we get that way, God needs to straighten out our thinking. Right? The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He will constantly try to bring up your past. But you need to remember it's under the blood. Jesus took it to the cross and God took his righteousness and gave it to you. And it doesn't matter what you feel. Feelings come and feelings go. They aren't even consistent. But God's word is forever settled in heaven. And the court of heaven has declared you not guilty. The court of heaven has declared you the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, but, but I have this battle. That's all right. Just know who you are and focus on the right things. Focus on who you are in Christ. Focus on his love. Focus on his blessings. Focus on redemption. Right? And when you do, those things that are on you just begin to melt away as the presence of the Prince of Peace manifests in your heart and in your life. You know, if you're watching the program today, and in your heart, you are hungry for God, but you know you're not right with God. It may be that you've drifted away from the Lord. You, there's, there's guilt on your life, and you just say, I know I'm not right. I need forgiveness. I want to give my life to the Lord, and I want to live for Him and serve Him. If that's you, would you please bow your head 
And would you pray this prayer with me and, and speak these words out loud and make those, these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your family on my way to heaven in Jesus name. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer and you are right with God. Now I wrote a book and I want to give you a copy absolutely free, right? It's full of bullet points to help you keep on growing spiritually. Now all the information is right there on your screen. You can just download the book and it is going to be a blessing to you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have it mailed to you, or download it right there instantly. It's also available on our app. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Our test is our testimony, and our story can help change lives if you step out and be bold enough to share it. If God is doing something in your life, please send us a quick video from your cell phone letting us know. We would truly love to hear from you. Walking by Faith is used across the globe to spread the truth that changes lives on and off the air. To partner with us financially in this great commission, go to walkingbyfaith.tv give. Find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or on your favorite social platform by searching WBF TV. Also, be sure to download our app where you can listen to all past sermons, submit a prayer request, and much more. I pray you find God's peace, and as always, blessings until next time.